God gave us these bodies. Mm -hmm. And if we're actually taught to enjoy our bodies, we would feel sexy. Mm -hmm. And we would recognize that sexy, feeling sexy, being sexy, living in your sexy is not a sin. But you know what happens when we feel sexy, right? We feel powerful. We feel uncontrollable. The church doesn't want Black women feeling powerful and uncontrollable. Mm -mm. That's a problem for the system. Welcome to Sanctified. Join this congregation weekly where hot girls and holiness align. Where nothing is taboo and revelation is more than the Bible's last book. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, and a lover. And I'm learning to live this life without fear or shame in abundance, the way God intended. And I'm LaVon Briggs. I'm a Queens girl, a joy chaser. I'm a daughter of the church and the diaspora. And I'm a Black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. You ready, LaVon? I'm ready, sis. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Today, we are discussing the need for Black women to embrace pleasure, Mm, mm, mm. right? And everybody automatically will think, "Uh uh-oh, but I'm talking about pleasure, both sexual and general enjoyment in life. I love that. Thank you so much for clarifying because people automatically go to sex. But when you think about what pleasure is, it's defined as a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment, enjoyment and entertainment contrasted (laughs) with things done out of necessity or sensual gratification. Yes, exactly. So this is sexual and life enjoying who you are, enjoying the body God gave you, doing things that make you happy and bring pleasure. Because so many of us grew up in churches where we didn't have agency over our own bodies. And so we didn't even give a thought to what brought our bodies pleasure. So we get to liberate that desire. We get to say, how do we strip away the patriarchy and the sexism and the antibodiness of colonized Christianity and embrace it? and liberate that. That's so important for us. Liberate that, honey. Pleasure is our God-given right. Mm, What you mm, think about mm. that, Sister LeVar? Just saying the word pleasure makes me feel good. (laughs) It's kind of like when you say a big, fat, juicy yes, when you really get a really cool opportunity or that cutie you've been eyeing called you and sets up a date. You know how your body tingles? (laughs) No, I'm serious. Pleasure is supposed to feel good. Absolutely. And God gave us these bodies to feel good in. Girl, I'm with you 100%. So then my question becomes... How have Black women been so misguided about pleasure? Like, what are, what are the scriptures that have been used to, to put us on the path of unhappy, unenjoyable life? Oh, girl. I mean, historically, Black preachers and pastors have cherry-picked these scriptures in the Bible to make us feel like God does not want you to enjoy sex at all, unless you are heterosexual and married. So like in Song of Solomon, where it says, don't wake in a love before it's time. But 
they completely disregard the fact that the lovers in Song of Solomon were not married at the time that they were engaging in that 90s R&B six. <laughs> <laughs> right? So before it's time, what time? The time that I'm married? The time that I'm 18? The t- yeah. Who? What time? Mm. And then that the other one, ooh, I grew up always hearing is better to marry than to burn. Now, listen here. You and I both know people who never should have gotten married. Honey, if you get married only to discover what sex is, your marriage is doomed to fail. Right. Especially because if we're not being taught about sex, you're not that good at it. Like, do you know how to put on a condom? Honey, did y'all get tested for STDs? Like, there's all kinds of conversations that need to be happening. But I can't tell you how many hypo-Christian couples I saw on the journey getting married at 19 years old just so they could have sex lawfully, quote, end quote. Mm-mm. You're so young. You're so young. I couldn't imagine getting married at 19. What? You don't know nothing about nothing. You can't even legally drink. You surely can't. And a lot of the people that did it are from that generation that felt like they couldn't question anything, that felt like whatever the pastor said is what they're going to do, as opposed to really researching and learning on their own what journey God has them on and living through all of the things in a marriage that are hurtful because you have been told you're a woman, you're the weaker vessel, this is what men do, so you just have to accept it. Like, what is that about? My God, when I was an assistant pastor in the Bay Area, I remember being on retreat with some of my young people and I was talking to this group of sisters who were all married. I think I might have been engaged at the time. I'm now divorced from that man. But I remember a conversation about sex and one of them was like, you know, sometimes you just have to take one for the team. (laughs) And I looked at her like, excuse me? (laughs) But like the idea that you need to be readily available for sex for your husband and you need to be this sexual goddess that first of all, the church never encouraged you to be like, just because you have a ring on your finger or two by the time you get married, doesn't turn you into this sexual goddess at all. And it's almost like they want you to take one for the team as if it's not meant to be pleasurable for you to preach. It is pleasurable for the man whenever he wants it, however he wants it. You're there to serve him. How about him serving you? Hello? That's another reason why I had to divorce that man. He didn't enjoy servicing me orally. (laughs) (laughs) I knew, look, there were red flags while we were dating, but honey, baby, when he told me he don't like giving head, I was like, oh Lord, how did I end up here? You said, I gotta go. I got to go, Jesus. And it's so interesting because... God gave us these bodies. Mm -hmm. And if we're actually taught to enjoy our bodies, we would feel sexy. Mm -hmm. And we would recognize that sexy, feeling sexy, being sexy, living in your sexy is not a sin. But you know what happens when we feel sexy, right? We feel powerful. We feel uncontrollable. The church doesn't want Black women feeling powerful and uncontrollable. Mm Mm-mm. That's a problem for the system. I wonder, are there different faith traditions or or denominations that really frown upon just basic enjoyment in life? The things that you wear. I know growing up, we couldn't wear pants. It was like putting on pants is a sin. High-waisted and belted. Come on. You know, give me something. 
Oh Lord, if the saints wanted to go swimming, oh Lord, honey, you had to have a swimsuit, a t-shirt, and some shorts on top, some swishies, a jogger, velour. Like, what are we doing just to go swimming, child? It makes me wonder where did this even come from? Because things that I remember we couldn't do, like I had some friends who couldn't go to the movies. Right. Mm. And I even remember one time going to the movies. This is when I was super saved child. And I saw a Harry Potter movie and some little demon was on the screen child. And I started speaking in tongues <laughs> because I was like, oh, no, this is evil. This is demonic. I don't know why that stuff sits with you. I know why. Because we hear it preached. Yeah. Right. And espoused. And we think we're doing the right thing. So it's not our fault. Yeah, it's it's something that if you continuously hear the same thing for years and years, it becomes sort of ingrained in you. Even if you consciously recognize, I don't believe in that. Subconsciously, it's something that has been ingrained in you and you have to reverse that. We do. And I think it starts with honoring that God was intentional about creation <laughs> and Women, when we say, okay, so am I a child of God? And the church is like, yeah. And it's like, okay, so God made me and everything is good. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, okay, so my sexuality is good then. And the church is like, crickets. <laughs> exactly. But when you look at our bodies anatomically, I know God created pleasure because God created the clitoris. We're the only creatures in all of creation who possess one organ that has one function. The clitoris does not bear babies. It doesn't urinate. You know what I'm saying? There's no- You better preach. Absolutely. It's for our pleasure. So how are you going to tell me God made me and God made my clitoris and I'm not supposed to use it the way I want to? It doesn't make sense. And when you begin to question these things and there's no answer for it, they try to sort of divert you because if they can't give an answer, then it's, that's just the devil talking to you. Mm. Or is it just me using the brain that God gave me to understand and recognize what makes sense and what doesn't? For me in my journey with the Lord, it's not going to be the same as you. If, if, if going to the movies for you or if swimming without a t-shirt for you makes you feel like you, you're ready to go out and do some stuff that you know is just dead wrong, then maybe you ought not do it. That is not a stipulation that you make part of the word to tell people what they can and cannot do. You're just trying to monitor somebody's entire life. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting into you telling me what I can and can't do for myself, with myself, from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. It all goes hand in hand to suppress Black women and our desire. And the wild part about it is that the Bible is not anti-pleasure. The Bible is actually pro-pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. There are several scriptures that let us know how God feels about pleasure. You've got Psalm 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And the woman. Look. And the non-gender conforming person. So what am I tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and then living in bondage? Eba Shondo preach. How? Those two don't go together. And Psalm 1611, these psalms, child, these songs, okay? <laughs> you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, mm. not portions of joy, mm. fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So whether you're using your right hand, your left hand, a vibrator, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. If God is telling us, 
in the presence, there's fullness of joy. Yeah. And pleasures forevermore. Why are we sticking with, oh no, I can't do that. Oh no, I can't do that. There's so many things that we can't do that. It's like, well, what is the purpose of living for God? Right. Where is the freedom? Where's the abundance? Where's the joy? Where's the pleasure? So if I'm a woman, I don't want to be bound and I don't want to feel like there's nothing good in life for me and I can't enjoy the things around me, then what is the use in following Christ? You know, in her 1978 essay, Uses of the Erotic, the Erotic as Power, Audre Lorde talks about how the erotic is beyond sex, that it's actually the center of women's creative life force. And we can talk about the womb and, you know, biological motherhood and things like that. But it also makes me think how you and I are both artists, right? So whether we're singing or writing or podcasting, like there is an energy center in us that helps us to co-create with God. And a part of that is feeding that pleasure center, right? Reading, watching films, eating really good food, going for walks in nature, sipping a nice oak milk chai latte with nutmeg and ground cinnamon. Like, Ooh, you better lay it out. That's my order. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, so everything <laughs> is not about sex in the body. It's about what brings me pleasure and joy. And the church taught us to diminish what we want. You got to put yourselves, yourself last. You got to serve everybody and they mama first. And Honestly, it's really, really unfair. Absolutely. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you are never going to be able to keep taking care of anybody else. Even sitting here as a mom, if I constantly put my baby first and my husband first, I am going to burn all the way out mm. because I'm not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving myself what I need. If I can't recharge and get what I need, how am I going to make sure my baby's good? How am I going to make sure I can do things for my husband that I want to do for him? Mm -hmm. I have to take care of me. And so the question is, how would the world actually change if Black women acknowledged and leaned into their desires and enjoyment? That is so critical what you just said, DJ. Being a mother is a part of your identity. It's not your whole identity. Being a wife is a part, right? Mm -hmm. Just like being a Christian is a part of your identity. And I feel like for many Black women, they make being a Christian their whole identity. And it's like, no, you get to be a complex, multifaceted being. Because I mean, Jesus was. We like to talk about Jesus's ministry and Jesus hung on a cross, but Jesus was also a man. <laughs> Jesus also laughed and ate and washed and had sexual thoughts and urges. We can push your theology there, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm wondering what would happen if we actually had real conversations about desire, enjoyment, and our bodies. And honestly, truly, because the Black church is predominantly Black women, I feel like if we really leaned into our enjoyment, the Black church as we know it would crumble. Because who's going to be there to pick up the pieces? It would look very, very different. And maybe it's the wake-up call that they would need because if this happened, they would have the space to actually focus on the things they should be focusing on, period, which is living like Christ. Mm -hmm. What is that like? It's not taking away every enjoyment or desire or passion. 
It is living an abundant life, the life that Christ came and died for us to give us. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? And how do we find that on each of our own separate journeys? The church would be a very different place. As much as we talk about the gospel, right, being about the resurrection, in order to resurrect something, something had to die. There has to be some self-effacing really harmful, toxic (laughs) theologies. I can't even call them theologies. They're ideologies masquerading as theologies that Black women need to accept. If we really knew God's unconditional love for us, not that you are appreciated when you print the programs or fry up all the chicken or clean the (laughs) church bathrooms or watch the children, right? Thank you so much for your service. No, you will be home taking a nap. Yeah, You will be home masturbating, cooking yourself a good meal, right? You will be doing the things that you want to do. Why? Because God loves me unconditionally. Whether I play by this legalistic rules of do's or don'ts, that y'all have going on. Right. You have to do the things that bring you pleasure. That is in the Bible. And so look, it's testimony time, honey. And we got a good testimony coming up from someone who is very, very familiar with the idea and practice of pleasure. And I love it. Mm -hmm. So let's hear from Christian sexologist. Yep, you heard me right. (laughs) Christian sexologist and founder of the intimacy firm, Brittany Rodas-Smith. My name is Brittany Rodas-Smith, and this is my testimony. The first thing I remember being taught about my physical body was to notice how much space I was taking up. I was always the tallest in every space. I was always had to be in the back. I had to make concessions for other folks around me because of my size. It's directly connected to asking myself sexually because with being tall also came, you know, utility. Like I was able to get things off high shelves. I was effective on sports teams and things like that. I was silly. I was talented, you know, I was even pretty, but sexy was not anything that I had ever considered. My earliest memories of how sex was discussed in church was that it wasn't. I wasn't like born in the church, but I started going to church fairly early. And I don't remember any kind of conversations about sexuality in my home or in the church. And then as I grew and I became an adult, my experience with it is that the wrong messages about sex were happening in church. And so it went from silence to error. And I was like, what's going on here? Some of the wrong messages that I heard as an adult and just getting married was sex is the thing that men need. And if women don't provide readily and willingly, that they run the risk of being cheated on. And if they are cheated on, it's their fault for not being available and then all of those things were a lot of the messages that I got earlier someone 22 years old married to a deacon of the church I had to serve and submit and show up in a way again reinforcing that utility like I'm useful but not existing in just who I am I was a Sunday school teacher I was one of the you know teachers or leaders at my church at the time and I had recently started going to school for human sexuality and my pastor at the time had asked me to teach the lesson because he knew what I was going to school for. I told a lesson called Sex and Salvation. 
And it was one of those moments where I was struggling. Like, how do I have these conversations that doesn't wake love before it's time for the single folks, but then also not be boring for the married folks. And after I taught, it went really well. And one of the elders said, you know, this is really good, but maybe next time teach it from the fellowship hall, not the pulpit. And I literally heard God say, this is it. And this is why. I was absolutely nervous, particularly because I just felt this call that I couldn't shape to speak specifically to believers and in churches. Like I was okay and confident with being a sexologist who just happened to be Christian. And like, I could do my work and then go to church on Sunday and just worry about my own soul. But when I just couldn't shake this call to kind of speak to black Christian women and black Christian couples, that's when the nerves were like, how are they going to receive this? Do I know enough scripture to really ground this conversation? So my work shapes me as a Christian first, because the more I do this, the closer I get to Christ. Like I, I didn't think that that would be possible because me and Jesus have always been tight. I feel like I grow more and more confident in who I am as a woman. I feel like I stand up straighter. You know, I'm okay with speaking louder, pushing back when I need to. I get to just be. And the more I do this, the more I see it changing lives. My life has changed in the process. My greatest hope for Black women is that we collectively move to a place where we can just be. No more performance, no more striving to exist that in our fair skin, just who we are, we get to just be, and that's enough. My name is Brittany Broder-Smith, and that is my testimony. Don't go away. We've got a good fellowship with Brittany coming up. Brittany, first of all, thank you. We are so excited to have you. Your testimony was full of so many gems and just honesty and delight. Mm -hmm. And so the first question for me, and I think it can be for everyone who feels like they're not super familiar, what exactly does a sexologist do? A sexologist is an expert in the study of human sexuality. And how they deliver their work or their practice varies from the public health sector to social work to direct clinical practice by way of therapy or some of the teaching and intimacy coaching work that I do. So it varies, but it's overall the study of the expert in the study of human sexuality. <laughs> Come on, expert. Okay. <laughs> it's giving credential. It's giving knowledgeable. Okay. It's giving sissy got her stuff together. So, okay. You're a sexologist, but not only that, you're a Christian sexologist. So what's the differentiation there? How exactly is Christian sexology different? So it's all the things that I just mentioned, but filtered through a biblical lens, the traditional understandings of the Bible. Um, my particular demographic are the ones that are called to me are those saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, <laughs> tithe paying. I got Jesus on my speaking. side. Okay, I've been working for Jesus a long time and I ain't tired yet. So I do the work that I do with those folks, you know, trying to bridge the gap between the science and the scripture 
of sex, pretty much. Mm, I love that. And I love that you said the people that are called to you. It's very much giving flock and you are the shepherd. Uh Uh-oh, now, hold up now. (laughs) Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. (laughs) That's kind of like somebody that don't really, 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 really want to accept all of they calling. Come on, girl. What have you found to be your greatest sort of triumph or success story in your career as a Christian sexologist? Absolutely. I actually have two. From a one-on-one standpoint in my coaching practice, it's a young lady I've been working with for some time who she sent me a message not long ago about her beginning to lead worship at her church. And we had been working on sexual confidence even while abstaining. And she said to me that the work that we've been doing to find her sexual voice helped her find her voice in all areas. And she stopped running she stopped running from her calling. And a lot of it was due to, you know, she hadn't been abstaining and she was like, I can't, you know, stand and lead the church and worship knowing I just, you know, was having sex the night before and those kind of things. So we kind of worked through that guilt and shame of that. And she really drew closer to Jesus, which is really the hallmark of the work that I do. Yes, we talk about sex. We do everything from dildos to deep throats to barrier method contraceptions and all of that. But really at the end of it, do you know the Lord? And where will your soul be when this is all done? And that's really the work that I do. So I was so grateful for that. And then other than that, most recently, I was booked to do a sex week at a church in Tampa. They had a sexual revival and they booked me to come down all week. And every day we talked about things we did, managing the weight of the weight and how what abstinence looks like in you know our current day to kink in Christianity, do we do that in holiness? Mm. And the fact that that happened, I am still not even, and this was in early August, and I don't know if I've really even still wrapped my head around the magnitude of a Black church having this conversation from the pulpit and to bringing this information to their congregation directly, not in, you know, euphemisms, not in anything covered, but really straight conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, Lord, if you don't do nothing else, he's done enough. He's done enough. I mean, I'm sitting, like, my mouth is open. They had a sexual revival. Did. And they did not hold back. No. Wow. That is amazing. It was. And it showed, I mean, there showed the work that was still needing be, to be done because the pastor was kind of leery about hosting it on because they streamed it. So it was hosting it on the church's page because he feared like if someone was to search the church and then, you know, masturbation was the first thing they, you know, how Google works was the first thing that comes up. It would be a concern. So we hosted it from his uh, like Facebook staff page and on the YouTube and things like that. But even that is like, it's progress. We've come a long way from the church don't talk about sex. Absolutely. You know, it's agitating me a little bit. I'm I'm triggered because of your story, Brittany, about the Sunday school teacher who was like, teacher from the fellowship hall and not the pulpit. It feels like, yeah, we're having the conversation, but we're still like leaving it outside of the holy of holies. Like, let's talk about it, but let's not make it sanctuary worthy. And that's where I really (laughs) want people to go. Do you think we'll ever get there? Like the Black church writ large? Yeah, I do think that we're going to get there. I think it's going to take time, just like any other change in life that we need to see for everything that we see as success. We also see a need for 
for more if you look at the plight of being black in America and all of those things. No, we're not, we're not, you know, getting the, the dogs and the water hoses, but also George Floyd. Like, you know what I mean? So right. we're always going to be in that, that juxtaposition. However, I think that when you look at evangelism and having to, you know, step inside someone's world and meet them where they are, for me, the work that I do, absolutely, I want to be able to do it from the pulpit. I want to be able to say boldly Jesus and sexual health terms all in the same time. But I know that you have to win their ear before you can win their heart. And some things just are turnoffs for folks. And so and this, this is evangelism. And slowly but surely, we are working to win. And then also, we got to save their lives before we save their souls. So whatever I need to do, however I need to shape it, and if I need to start in the pastor's office before we can make it to the Sunday school, before we can make it to the pulpit, then slowly but surely, as long as we continue to be mindful to move forward as long as we're moving forward. And I, I, I do agree with you, LeVon, and I wish we could just, you know, kick in the door, waving the four fours, but that's, oh, that's, that's don't hit me no more. <laughs> it's balance. So you have to have that, you have to have that balance. You have to have that balance. So question, Brittany, of all the things that you have had to unlearn in order for you to be able to do this work, what, experience that you had to unlearn are you most thankful for? Wow, that's such a good question. So I was married before and I came in, even though I didn't come in with a lot of the hangups that typically are known to be connected to, you know, Black Christian women, I did have that I'm the oldest child of the oldest child of the oldest child in the Black, or the only oldest girl child in a Black family. So there was a lot of sexuality connected to my identity. So when I got married, I figured we would have sexual problems, but not, I figured, excuse me, I figured we have marital problems, but not sexual. So unlearning my worth connected to my sexual expression was the greatest thing that I could for me personally. And then it actually leads the work that I do. And ultimately it ended my marriage once I separated who I was from what I could do sexually but it motivates me to be that voice for a lot of Black church women who are sitting in the pews under the weight of what you won't do, another one will, and and you're willing to do it all, and he's still like, well, what else you got? Mm. Yeah, it's not just the the men in the church that are sexually unsatisfied. So really disconnecting those two things, identity and sexual expression, really helped me, and that's what I'm most proud of. That is Really important, I think, for women all around to recognize that that is not the definition of who they are. I wonder when you did get married, because you said you thought you would have marital problems, but not sexual problems. Did you feel like you were equipped sexually? Did you feel like you knew what you were doing? Did you feel like it was only meant to make sure he was happy? No, I didn't have that last part. I didn't think it was only for him. But I didn't know enough to know that I didn't know, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't know that there needed to be a skill. Yeah. I knew I was willing. Yeah. And I thought that with the, you know, those myths about, or not even, sometimes it's myths, sometimes it's fact. But those stories about once women get married, then they stop having sex. And the man always has to, like, dance around following a carrot, you know, checking off things from the honey-do list in order to get sex. And then woman would have a headache or her, you know, the cycle was on or all of these excuses. And then if she wanted something from her husband, she would offer sex to, you know, 
control his behavior, his actions, or his compliance with certain things. I knew not to do that. I never had an interest in that. And I genuinely desired sex and I was always willing. And so I knew, I thought that that was going to be the thing. I didn't know to even consider whether this was good or not, because even, you know, I I held on to God's unchanging hand as much as I could, but I wasn't a virgin when I got married. So (laughs) me neither, girl. It's all good. You know, you know, I tried, but you know, me and God, we cool. But I had to, but even before that, in those relations prior to my husband, it was still the willingness. Were you willing to show up? How far were you willing to go? And I would never have to have that stigma of, oh, she won't do that. Like I'm down for whatever. And so coming into a marriage, I'm like, if I'm down for whatever, he may complain about the cooking that I may not feel like doing. I might have a housekeeper instead of, I'm not, I'm not vacuuming no floors. Amen. But you ready to get busy? What's up? I got you. (laughs) Honey, baby, let's talk about (laughs) moving away from the transactional nature of sex, particularly in marriages. There's this idea that you're supposed to clean the house, cook the food, raise the kids, be my sexual goddess, have all the energy that I need you to have to go downtown and make me come. And, and it's like, where where's the reciprocity? How have you been nourishing Black women of faith to take up space in their relationships, particularly their romantic ones, and claim what they desire and make sure that their needs are met as well. Particularly because the church can teach us that we need to suppress our desires or put our desires on the back burner in the name of service and being a good Christian woman. So how do you help the people who are called to you work through that? Yeah. And I honestly don't even think that that issue is just a church thing. I think society in general tells women to suppress in order to get ahead or succeed or gain access to whatever it is we want, whether it is in pleasure and sexuality realm or in the boardroom or, you know, whatever. We don't want to take up too much space. And that, that, that docile compliance is the way to success. But it's The way I nourish it is what you just said, is helping them understand that sex is not supposed to be transactional. It is indeed supposed to be relational. And that is groundbreaking for so many of them because we're it's socialized to believe to be wet and willing, but don't want it too much because there will be a problem in that, you know, Madonna horror complex and that, you know, the lady in the street freaking the sheets, all of these things where women are just taught to do to perform, not to just be. And so we work on just sitting back for a second and asking, what is it that you want? And because jumping right to the sexual space, like what turns you on, is really hard for many of them. So we we peel it back. When you're at a restaurant and the plate comes to the table and it's not what you want, what's your process for getting that need met? And you'd be surprised at how so many, so many women or so many people really will just take it, take what's given to them because they've lost the stamina to hold on or do the work necessary to reach what they actually desire and what's what's available. So we work on, you know, I call them the transferable skills of speaking up for what you want in all areas and allowing that to transfer into the sexual space. I want to pick up on that word perform you just said. Can we talk about faking orgasms in the bedroom? Oh my goodness, yes. Please stop. If you're listening, don't do it. Help us, Brittany. Not well, help the people, not me. I think I can count on my hands how many times I've faked an orgasm. And most people do it because they're ready for it to be over or they're directly connected or invested in the pleasure or ego of their partner. 
And so what I help them understand is that that false affirmation that you're providing is only going to seek to prolong your displeasure. Because of you, you know, hooping and hollering and shimmying and shaking when he sticks his tongue in your ear, then all of that's going to do is convince him that you like that. And he's going to continue to do it. And you're going to continue to be dissatisfied. At the end of the day, your orgasm is your responsibility. And a good partner will partner with you so that you can experience it. But you have to give them the knowledge and the information as to what will get you there. And we have to begin to also not look at orgasm as an achievement which also promotes the need to fake orgasms because whether it is their ego or your worth in the bedroom, we have to take ownership of the pleasure that is ours in all areas of life because pleasure is our birthright. Whether you are married or abstaining or not, taking in pleasure in all of your senses, all the senses you have access to is your responsibility. Anytime you can speak up and don't, Barring any type, you know, abuse, neglect, like those type of things. But if there you have the power and authority to speak up and you choose not to for the sake of the other person, you're willingly leaving pleasure on the table. Mm, wow, wow, wow. Who wants to willingly leave pleasure on the table? Hello? Not I. And so this is really affirming for me and hopefully for everybody listening that pleasure, like you said, Brittany, is your God-given right. It is your birthright. You need to claim it. Do not leave pleasure on the table, physically, mentally, emotionally. And the way you speak about it, Brittany, has allowed me to even see it in a different way. Thank you for this amazing testimony. Thank you for the knowledge because we are the better for it. Let the church say amen. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. (laughs) We're going to take a short break, but coming up next, it's offering time. It's offering time. But we do it a little differently here. Here at Sanctified, Offering Time at Sanctified is where we bring affirming words to offer to you. So let's get to it. Our offering today, number one, your body is holy and sexy all in one. Do not separate the two. You don't have to limit what it is and what it can be. And I want to offer that Pleasure is your birthright. God put us in these bodies and it's time for us to retire this antiquated <laughs> platonic ideology that the body and the soul are separate. They're they're not. They're one. And you get to discover what turns you on as soon as you are ready to do so. I have encountered grown women who don't know what their pleasure principles are. I did a workshop and a keynote in Twin Cities And I remember meeting a woman who shared with us that she had four sons. And when her youngest son left for college, the next day she wakes up to make breakfast and she doesn't know how to make her eggs because she was so used to making eggs the way that her sons liked them, that when she could make her eggs any way she wanted, she was in a tizzy. Like, hmm, now how do I like my eggs? Like, can you imagine raising four human beings going through life and not knowing if you like scrambled soft or fried hard? Or- wow. And so if some Black women don't even know how they like their eggs, of course they don't know what they like in the bedroom or 
on the beach or in the gym or anywhere else, right? So, so DJ, on your journey of self-love and reclaiming pleasure as your birthright, what are some things that have helped you become familiar with your desire and your body? Just really starting to listen to myself and recognize that a lot of the things I was told growing up isn't necessarily true and is not attached to the word like we were told. And so recognizing that I love my legs and I want to show them off is not a sin. And recognizing that sexy is not a sin, which is why I love understanding that holy and sexy, you can be both of those in one. And you're meant to be. Seeing myself as that took time. And I'm grateful that I married a husband who recognized that and continues to push for that daily so that I see myself the way I should. But also here are some things that I think everybody can do to just get more familiar with who you are, with with your body, the, the wonderful, beautiful, exceptional body that God gave you and your desires. Number one, just stand naked in front of the mirror. Look at yourself. Girl, I dance naked in my mirror. Look. I look at myself. <laughs> I do my body rolls. I touch myself. It, I feel unstoppable. <laughs> Absolutely. When I'm looking at myself and just admiring my beauty. That's what you have to do. Admire what God has placed before you and know that it is holy and beautiful and lovely and sexy and, and it deserves to be living in pleasure, to have pleasure. That is what you should see when you see yourself. My living in pleasure looks like practicing sensuality as a spiritual practice, right? Like buying myself flowers or soaking in a luxurious bubble bath. Those things make me feel calm, peaceful, at ease. And I believe God wants me to have peace in my life. I believe God wants us to have peace in our bodies. And so doing anything that makes me feel at home in my body, like I'm grounded, getting out of my head, because, you know, we be overthinking sometimes. Mm-hmm. We be so intellectual and so educated, got all these degrees. Sometimes you just got to turn it off and just feel. Mm. And sometimes what you're feeling is not always going to, be pleasant, right? But it will pass. I promise you it will pass. Whoever's listening to this and part of the reason why you don't want to be in your bodies because things come up for you and they're really hard to process and deal with. Know that God sees you and we see you and the only way through it is through it. In the words of Josh Odom. Amen. I love that, LaVon. The only way through it is through it. And you are meant to be comfortable in your body. You are meant to be comfortable in the skin that God has blessed you with. You are meant to be. Maybe someone else didn't think so, and maybe someone else took advantage of that. But trust and believe that that body is yours, and you are meant to glory in it. Mm. So take that time to do the things that bring you joy, that bring you peace, not just sexually, but mentally, that give you that joy. And practically speaking, if you've never seen what your vagina slash vulva looks like, like... Next time you go to the bathroom or you laying in bed, get you a little compact mirror, you know, and take a look at what's going on with your body. Because some of the reasons why we don't get the pleasure we deserve sensually or sexually is because we don't know our bodies. We're not 
familiar with them. And so we can't offer someone else the opportunity to pleasure us if we don't know what pleasures ourselves. And so tiptoeing into masturbation, right? And really shedding the religious and cultural and sexual shame that comes alongside that. Those are narratives that we get to let go of. Yes. Y'all, pleasing me, myself, and I, physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, you deserve it all. So thank you for joining us here at the Sanctified House today. And please come on back next week, y'all. You will be seen, you will be heard, and you will be loved on. That is the goal every week at the Church of Sanctified. So come on back. And if there's something you want us to talk about or something you want to let us know, just get something off your chest, you can email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. We are here and we can't wait to talk to you again next week. So come on and get sanctified. Boop, boop. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.